I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother, uh, my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I am joined by Fox speech language pathologist, Kate Hayner. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. And and before we begin, happy Better Speech and Hearing Month. Woo-woo. Yes. Will, will you be celebrating all month long? You know, every day in the life of a speech pathologist is Better Speech and Hearing Month, in my opinion. We okay. always have passion and excitement. Well, no, and- I, I know you have passion throughout the year, but will you at <laughs> least do something to celebrate this month? Because that's what this month is for. I mean, I love doing podcasts, getting out educational information, collaborating. So I'll probably just keep, you know, you're like, you're like all the other Fox clinicians. You do more work. (laughs) I've I've asked that question before. I think I asked it last month for OT month. I said, what are you doing to celebrate? And they gave me five lists of things they're going to do. I'm like, you're doing more work. We're the best out there. So we got (laughs) to keep the bar high, raising that bar. I love that. So I need your origin story. We're kicking off Better Speech and Hearing Month. What led you to become a speech language pathologist? Well, believe it or not, I was in grade school and I was always in trouble for talking. And so they (laughs) called me. I got the nickname early on, Chatty Cappy, believe it or not. (laughs) So little did they little did they know that the podcast world would explode later in your life and that would be an excellent tool for you. Yes. So I was a chatty cappy and I decided <laughs> we had a project in high school where we had to shadow a profession that we thought we might want to do in college. And so I went to shadow a speech pathologist. Now how, how old were you? I was 16. So Kind of at that point where yeah. you got to start making some life choices yes. and, and, you know, what are you going to focus your future on? So I shadowed at uh, St. Louis Children's Hospital in St. Louis, a pediatric SLP, craniofacial team, fell in love. And I kind of from there segued to, you know, I always want to help people talk and it would be horrible if they didn't have the ability to talk, kind of leading into aphasia and one thing led to another, and now I'm down the rabbit hole of, you know, all things adult. So here we are. I love stories like that. I feel like not everyone has faith in like a teenager, but the fact that you saw something as a 16-year-old and said to yourself, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to help people like that. I feel like our profession is a big puzzle. And so it's always kind of trying to figure out. I always love puzzles too, especially what we're going to talk about today with dysphagia, trying to figure out what is going on, why it's happening. And so that's just another reason why I love what we do every day. So yeah, like you said, we're going to talk about 
dysphagia management. And I want to make everything user-friendly and break things down piece by piece. So let's start very simply. What is dysphagia? Yes. So dysphagia is a medical term, which just means difficulty swallowing. So swallowing problems can happen in your mouth, your throat, your esophagus, which is your stomach. And it can be related to difficulty moving food or coordinating food with your muscles, as well as the sensation. So how it's feeling in your throat or feeling in your esophagus and dysphagia can have, you know, there's lots of causes of dysphagia. So someone might have difficulty swallowing because of a stroke or a brain injury, or uh, we see a lot of neurodegenerative diseases like ALS, MS, Parkinson's. So you can also have difficulty swallowing from medications. There's all different kinds of reasons why somebody might have difficulty. And there's two ways that dysphagia can affect your ability to swallow. So efficiency, which is how fast or you know, the time and the effort that it takes, but also the safety. So when we're talking about dysphagia, you can look at efficiency, what's the time and Mm -hmm. safety. Is it going into their lungs or is it going into their laryngeal vestibule? Is it easy to diagnose someone with dysphagia? So this is a hot topic. So I'm so glad (laughs) you asked. Can we diagnose dysphagia? How difficult or how easy is it? Well, it's we always start off with what's called a clinical swallow examination or a bedside swallow. If you're a speech pathologist, typically you would receive an order from the doctor that says, you know, so-and-so is having difficulty swallowing. The speech pathologist would probably come in first and do the clinical swallow examination. Now this is where it kind of can get a little sticky because everyone has their own way of looking at somebody swallowing. So I kind of look at it as, you know, any other profession or discipline, one neurologist might interpret something completely different than another neurologist, same thing. Mm -hmm. So for my clinical swallow examination, typically I do what's called a cranial nerve exam. So I look at the nerves that could be impacting the swallow. So I look at Um, how the tongue's moving. I look at sensation in the face and the tongue and the lips. I have them do different things like throat clearing or coughing. I have them turning their head to look at how well their nerves are moving. And then I do what's called a test of masticating and swallowing solids. It's called the Tomas. So Jim, I'm going to have you say that the Tomas, the Tomas, or the Thomas. There's all different ways that people. <laughs> so en- it's, a, it's a huge acronym. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Test of masticating and swallowing salads. Damn. So that's a that's a long acronym. That's right. Well, I, Jim, I can't I can't even handle the the three letter acronyms. <laughs> well, what? Welcome to the medical world. <laughs> Everything's an acronym. I was at the dentist the other day, and they were talking in acronyms about what they were doing to fix my chipped tooth because I ate licorice a little too quickly and got too excited and chipped my tooth. And I just felt like they're saying all these things and I don't know what they're saying, but that's fine. So, but anyways, the test back to, you know, we could go down rabbit holes, uh, but the test of masticating and swallowing solids is something I do and it's very quantitative. Then I go into what's called the Yale swallow protocol, which is, it's called a three ounce water challenge. 
And it's very sensitive in determining if there could be what's called a pharyngeal dysphagia. So at the bedside, speech pathologists do really well at determining oral stage dysphagia. So oral stage is anything in the mouth, the tongue, the first phase. Mm -hmm. But then you have the pharyngeal phase, which is the throat. And so I kind of describe it as if you went in for a broken leg and you went to the hospital, would you want somebody to touch around on your leg and say, oh, I think the femur is broken or I think the tibia is broken? Or would you want an x-ray to see more, you know, give better insight to what's going on? Or same thing, CT and an MRI. So we do certain things to determine if a pharyngeal phase deficit could be present in a bedside. But the only way to truly determine if there's a pharyngeal dysphagia is to have an instrumental swallow study. Yeah, you sent me articles (laughs) and it mentioned the word instrumental. Now, I I come from the, the music world and instrumental is a song without lyrics. So in the SLP world, what is an instrumental? Well, I would say, you know, trying to correlate the two, you could say it's a song (laughs) of your anatomy and physiology (laughs) and how um, they jive together for your oral stage and your pharyngeal stage. So there's two instrumentals in the speech pathology world. One is called a modified barium swallow study, or, and there's different variations. Some people call it the cookie swallow. Some people call it VFSS video fluoroscopic swallow study. So I call it an MBS, modified barium swallow. And so that is when a patient would go to, as an outpatient, to a hospital and they would sit in a chair and they have barium pudding and a graham cracker and some barium in a cup with water and they eat and drink. Have you ever ever tasted that? I have, because I like to know- Any good? I always say it's not Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I always say, you know, I preface, it's going to be a little chalky. You might have some radiation exposure, but it takes a heck of a lot of exposure to be concerned about. Okay. I mean, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound good, but it's, but it's helpful. It's helpful because it, it looks at not only is the patient aspirating, which we should be looking at, but we need to more be looking at why are they aspirating? What muscles are impaired? What's going on in the different phases? How are the muscles moving? How's the coordination? So then we as speech pathologists know what to rehabilitate or what to compensate. And so in the modified, you look at the oral, the pharyngeal and the esophageal phases. Now we just briefly sweep the esophagus. We do what's called an esophageal sweep. We, we got to stay in our own lane, Jim. We can't be driving into, you know, GI's lane. (laughs) So we just comment on esophageal clearance. Now, and the other type of instrumental that we have, which is called fiber optic endoscopy, that's when they take a small camera Mm -hmm. and they put it through the nose and it sits and video records down into the pharynx and the larynx. And so you can see, you cannot see the oral stage of the swallow. You see only the pharyngeal stage of the swallow. And there are limitations to that. So you can't see if somebody's aspirating during the swallow, like on a 
MBS. And can but... you quickly break down aspirating? Yes. So... I, I, I know what it is because I did my homework, but for someone who's listening, you know, like I got, I'm following everything, but this aspiration thing I'm not following. Yeah. So Jim, I'm impressed. You uh, read all those articles. You're a speechy in the making. Um, <laughs> so so there's two terms that speech pathologists are really familiar with. So aspiration, which is when food or liquid, it can also be secretions or phlegm or acid reflux. Or vomit, right? Or vomit, emesis. Yep. Goes to and through the level of the vocal cords into the lungs. So you're bypassing that larynx, that laryngeal vestibule, or for non-familiar people, the voice box, and it's going straight past the vocal cords into the lungs. So, and then we have what's called penetration, which is where all of those things, again, are dancing around the airway, but they're not quite touching it. All right. So back to your second instrumental. Thank you, by the way. Absolutely. Glad to clear the air. So (laughs) bees, fiber optic endoscopy, we were talking about how there's a camera that slid through the nose. It sits in the back of the throat and it video records in live picture what your muscles are doing in the pharyngeal phase. And so you can look at secretion management, which is really important because when you know, somebody could be doing fine with food and liquid, but if they aspirate secretions, that's more concerning and that can fester in ammonia. Mm -hmm. Fees is good because you can actually see people eat and drink what they want um, and not like the MBS, which is just only solely restrictive to the graham cracker and the pudding. So fees, you can, you can eat that Thanksgiving meal and they can see how things are going down. You can implement different strategies like in an MBS as well, like doing a chin tuck or a head turn or those kinds of things. But again, we can see what's going on with the swallow, which is it takes the ambiguity out of the bedside, what we cannot see. So if you bring in anyone off the street and you tell them what aspiration is, I would probably guarantee that 80, 90% of the people would say, oh, that's pneumonia. I would imagine pneumonia is a huge concern when you're working with older adults who have dysphagia. This is a loaded topic, Jim. Thank well, you so much. Wait, should we should we get into the article? Yeah, so okay. we can get into the article. Okay, yeah. so Kate sent me an article written by Ed Bice. It's titled, Aspiration Pneumonia. The more we learn, the less we know. I was like, what? What? So what did you think? I'm not talking about reading the article. What did you think when you saw the title of the article? I think it's right on. I think, (laughs) I think it's true. Um, You know, as speech pathologists, we're so concerned about the cough and about, you know, if somebody's aspirating, does that fester a pneumonia? But in the article, and it's from the Dysphagia Cafe. So anybody that wants to check it out, um, it's on the Dysphagia Cafe website. But I think it hits it dead on. It's basically, they break it down into different reasons why there could be an aspiration pneumonia. Aspiration pneumonia is multifactorial. So there has to be, you know, there has to be something going on with the host. So the person that, you know, is aspirating. Aspiration alone is not going to fester a pneumonia. We have people that are called functional aspirators. So if, if somebody comes to me and they're an outpatient and they're aspirating, 
I'm not going to necessarily put them on a modified diet because, you know, have they had a chest infection? In the article, it talks about the patient has to have impaired medical status, impaired immune function. They have to be on sedative medications. They have to have reduced mucociliary transport. They have to have depressed pulmonary function or lung function, oral hygiene. So, This kind of stems from an article too that I sent you by John Ashford in 2005, where it talks about the pillars of aspiration pneumonia. And the three of those are impaired medical status, impaired laryngeal valving, which is aspiration penetration, and then impaired oral hygiene. So those in combination with some of the other things like inability to feed yourself or poor cough, those are going to impact somebody's risk of getting pneumonia much more so than if one of those were in isolation only. Yeah. To me, that was crazy how your chances of getting pneumonia increase, possibly if you have bad oral hygiene, something I would never even think of. Like I wouldn't put two and two together like that. He, along with a lot of other professionals like Ashford and Susan Langmore, she's written multiple articles about it as well. But yeah, it oral hygiene is a huge component. And if you think about it, your mouth, Ed Bice talks about your microbiome. That's the second largest microbiome in your body. So you think about all the type of bacteria from the plaque. He was actually talking about, he came to our state presentation. He was talking about the OHAT which is the oral health assessment tool that we should be kind of incorporating. We should be as clinicians looking at oral hygiene more closely because it directly correlates. It seeps down into, you know, different areas of the body and that bacteria can fester. The article was just amazing. It can, well, not in a good way, amazing, but really brought light to you know, it, it can correlate to pneumonia. It can correlate to different cardiovascular issues, pregnancy issues, neurodegenerative issues. So just diabetes. So really interesting. So can I pick your brain for a second? Absolutely. If if you were going to write an article like Ed Bice, in your opinion, an experienced opinion, what's the best way to prevent pneumonia or at least keep a really close eye on things? So I do this in my Fox plan of care already, Jim. So I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) I talk about a proactive oral hygiene program. So really hitting the caregivers or the patient with the education to cleaning the mouth and not just with a swab, but using an actual toothbrush, brushing in the circular motion, brushing for, you know, one to two minutes for two to three times a day, you know, trying to floss if you can, but brushing, you know, I'll take brushing, making sure too, there's, there's research out there that people that wear dentures to bed at night have an increased risk of pneumonia compared to people that take their dentures out at night. After knowing what I know now, totally makes sense. Mind blown, right? (laughs) So I try to really hit oral hygiene programs strong, talking to staff. And two, just in the whole global picture, you know, really asking for those instrumentals up front, looking at the oral hygiene, looking at how they're ambulating. I try to make sure if I'm seeing a patient, the physical therapy is seeing the patient because we know that physical status correlates to how somebody's going to do with tolerance of aspiration. 
I tell everybody all the time, everyone aspirates. Uh, it's just how well is your ability to recover from it? So getting them physical, brushing their teeth, making sure they're active. Um, those are just a couple of things that I try to do. And two, you know, of course, doing exercises or working their pulmonary status, working their pulmonary strength, if it's indicated. It's crazy doing these podcasts and how it usually boils down to good health. Like if you at your core can stay healthy, it helps you out in so many different ways. Yes. And it's funny you mentioned that. I <laughs> I grew up with a mom who works in research and dietitian and nutrition management. So I had all these articles all the time growing up at my spot. We'd come down in the morning, you know, getting ready for school. And she'd have this article about why blueberries are good for you or, you know, whatever. But looking back, you know, it's really interesting, especially too, with everything coming out now with COVID and how to keep your immune system mm -hmm. in check and all the things you can do, like good medical and nutritional status is so, so, so important. And it's also interesting to see how nutrition and medical status correlate to strength and well-being and, you know, the bigger dance. Yep. The body's fascinating. Yes, it is. So uh, last question before we go to break. Are there any myths about dysphagia that we should know about? Ooh, I could talk about this all day, but <laughs> I will keep it. I'll keep well, it to a couple points. Keep it short. And then if you need yeah. to go longer, hop on another podcast later in the year. Oh, all right. Challenge we'll, we'll call it the myths on dysphagia. Part two. Part right? two. Yes. <laughs> so I think one of the myths that's out there is that we as speech pathologists and just, you know, really challenging medical care in general, that we get to make decisions for these patients. So it's kind of one of those that I feel like we can recommend you know, thickened liquids or modified diets, but we should be doing what's called informed consent where we're, you know, so I kind of explain it like Jim, if you had some coughing with your cherry Coke, would you immediately want somebody to tell you, you needed to be on thickened liquids for the rest of your life? No, absolutely not. Hell no. Right? Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> Heck no techno. So, <laughs> so I always, try to um, educate when I'm talking to the patient, it seems like you have a dysphagia based on your swallow study or your bedside. If they've had an instrumental, then I'll incorporate that in there. And then I always talk about the risks and the benefits. So this is your risk. If you continue, you know, on a diet like this, this is, you know, what you could be preventing yourself from, and so I kind of talk about it all in a, a big global picture. And then I document that. But when I treat, I always look at how would I want treatment? And so I would want, you know, all the options and to make an informed decision. And so I feel like we should be doing and making sure that we're incorporating that consent because they always have a right to refuse or a right to drink that cherry Coke, even if they're aspirating, right. but we can still work on the swallow. You, you show them the numbers, you show them the numbers and they play the numbers. Exactly. That's one myth. I know there's, there's a huge myth out there about, um, chin tuck fixes all dysphagia. 
So I know my friend is dating a nurse and in the nursing actual curriculum, the nurses are instructed to tell patients to do chin tucks if they're having difficulty swallowing. And so that's a myth because knowing anatomy and physiology that could actually make the swallow worse, depending on what's going on with the swallow. So chin tuck does not fix dysphagia. And then I'll just list one more in there that if you have dysphagia, that doesn't mean you're going to get aspiration pneumonia. Dysphagia is actually nine on the list of medical diseases and diagnoses that would cause aspiration pneumonia. So out of like that, suctioning that deep one, down, that deep down, that deep down. Yes, sir. So Kate Hayner, those were, uh, those were good myths. Like those, those stuck with me. Now you have to go play Jeopardy, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and the way you treat, you treat how you would want to be treated. I believe we call that the golden rule. Absolutely. That's how we do it here at Fox. So we're going to take a quick break, and I have a couple more questions with Kate Hayner. So don't leave. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. Attention anyone who is attending Argentum's 2022 Senior Living Executive Conference happening May 16th through May 18th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Fox will have a recharge station there where you can chat with our directors of senior living partnerships, Andrew Barroso, Trenton Ozipak, Sarah Carruthers, Brett Lomicky, Irene Blumenthal, and Anthony Ruggieri. If you are interested in learning more about how Fox's programming could decrease your risk and increase resident length of stay, let's connect. Also, little added bonus here, Fox Rehabilitation will be having Fox Yoga. Yes, start your morning with Fox Yoga, May 17th and 18th. And you will even leave with your own Foxified Yoga Mat, our gift to you for joining us. Only 50 spots are available per class. So reserve your spot by going to Fox Rehabilitation's Instagram page. That is Fox underscore Rehabilitation. The link is in the bio and we will see you at Argentum May 16th through 18th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, chatting with Kate Hayner, Fox speech language pathologist, kicking off Better Speech and Hearing Month. So working with Fox, and even outside of Fox, I have a really good friend who's a a speech language pathologist. Everyone I've met in the SLP world is a really good talker. Is that a coincidence? Ooh, I've met some introverted speech pathologist, but I would yeah, say- Yeah, big, big pic- but big picture? Big picture, I think if you're a speech pathologist, you like to make connections, you like to get to know people, you have a social side, and I think people just really relate to that, that are speech pathologists. And so I would have to agree, I'm definitely one of those people. I'm a talker, always have been. <laughs> So I mean, I think you got the nickname, most... you got the nickname in school. 
think it just goes with the profession. I know we get kind of a bad rap because people are like, I don't have trouble with my speech. So you also kind of have to get creative with how you talk to people about, you know, what we do. So I think it just comes with the territory. You bring up a good point. You make connections. Yeah. And when you make a connection with someone, they're easy to speak with. Yes. All right. Last question. Last question. What does Kate Hayner do for fun? We know you like to work. We know you are going to celebrate Better Speech and Hearing Month by working more. But what do you do for fun? And you can't say your job because we know you have fun doing your job. So let's. Yes. You're clocking out right now. Clocking out. Yeah. You're clocking out. What do you do for fun? I like to travel. I like to go to new places, try new foods. I love to ski. Um, I love to, you know, if I don't have that option, you know, for a weekend venture, then I like to read. I like to cook. I like to, I have two dogs that are my fur children and I do a lot of time with them. I have a Westie and I have a lab Willow. So one loves screen time. Yes. One, um, Jim, as you know, one hogs the screen. And so he, um, is my baby. So those are kind of my hobbies outside of work. And I love gardening too. So we have a big garden. And if the, uh, the king of the universe came over your place and you had to cook them something wonderful, what would you serve them? Ooh, some type of Cajun. I like, I grew up, okay. Yeah, like etouffee or jambalaya. My dad basically was stationed at a base in Louisiana. And so he and my mom did a lot of Louisiana, New Orleans cooking. And then when they moved to Missouri, um, that just kind of followed them. And so we kind of inherited that. So, oh, all right. I like that. All right. So at the next potluck, you'll have to bring some Cajun. Deal. All right. What are you bringing, Jim? What am I bringing? I might just bring like a little potato casserole. Potatoes are always solid. <laughs> Good go-to. No, when Good. I go to a potluck, I don't want to be like the superstar because that's too much pressure. So I just bring like a little side dish. I like it, but everyone makes it makes it work. Yeah, so. you, you need a side dish in a potluck. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> so Kate, happy Better Speech and Hearing Month. Jim, thank you for having me. Happy Speech and Hearing Month. And I hope you learned a thing or two about speech language pathology. I learned more than two things. And then we'll have you back for Dysphagia Myths Part 2. Excellent. You guys have a good evening. So for Kate Hayner, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Jens later. Later.